Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Virtual Physiatry Mentors. I'm Dr. Sheena Buba. I'm Dr. Venetia Williams. Together, we are Shanisha. <laughs> Ding! Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so today we have um, two of our good friends, Dr. Sabrina Young and Dr. Kara Bunting. They were actually our PGY2s when um, we were chief residents over at Baylor, and so it's been fun to kind of see them grow into their, their new roles as attending physicians. And today they're gonna to talk to us about what it's like uh, doing inpatient rehab in the community setting. And this was funny, but when I was making the flyer, I initially had called it um, small town rehab and I sent it to Karen and Sabrina and they were like, mm. <laughs> you haven't been to Oklahoma. <laughs> just cause it's in Oklahoma, just cause you work in Oklahoma doesn't mean that they're small towns. Like Tulsa where Kara lives or works is the population. She was like, it's 500,000 people. So if you want to call that small town, then I guess, but so my bad. So I've already learned something new. So, um, but welcome. <laughs> we're, I'm excited to learn more and we're just so excited to have you guys. I'm so excited. I was, and I think anyone who's been a PGY4, I think you have a very special bond with your PGY2 group because they're like, you're, you're responsible for them becoming rehab residents. So um, I'm super excited to have you guys on. So we know them very well, but we want you guys to know them very well. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. Tell us about your educational background, your current job title, and where you're um, located and um, where you went to undergrad residency, et cetera. So Dr. Bunting. Please start. Yeah, thank you for having me on. This is exciting. Um, so I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and went to Baylor University for undergraduate, and then um, decided to go back to Tulsa for medical school at Oklahoma State University. And then that's where I decided that I wanted to pursue PM&R. So I was fortunate to match at the University of Oklahoma in Tulsa to do my intern year, and then I transitioned down to Baylor University in Dallas to do my three years of PM&R. So um, kind of surprised myself when I decided to come back to Tulsa to start my career. So, And um, I grew up in Houston. I uh, went to Texas A&M for undergrad. Whoop. Hi, Ryan. And um, then I went to TCOM in Fort Worth for med school. I met Dr. Salad there and um, got plugged into his network of um, budding physiatrists. And that's how I decided to do rehab. And then went to UCSF Fresno for my intern year because that's where I matched. And it was a really great experience. Um, and then came back to Texas for, um, for residency at Baylor and then in Dallas. And then... Um, just kind of randomly ended up in Oklahoma because that's where a great job opportunity was for us. And um, I'm in Norman now where uh, OU is. And so it's kind of uh, like friendly territory because OU and um, Texas are rivals and A&M and uh, Texas are rivals. So, so it's, it's good. It's a good fit. <laughs> And we'll definitely go into detail about kind of why you guys chose the jobs you chose, but we'll come back a little bit to residency. So when in residency, did you guys decide that this is what you wanted to do? You wanted to do inpatient rehab and when during re residency, did you start looking for jobs? 
Um, so I knew I wanted to do inpatient rehab after my intern year. I really liked it a lot. Um, uh, I really like the inpatient setting. I like seeing patients improvement on a day-to-day basis, um, and seeing how, you know, little tweaks and medications can make a big difference for patients. And I like seeing that, um, you know, progression because you see a, a pretty, a pretty rapid, um, significant progression in inpatient rehab. And I really like that. Um, so that's, that's why I wanted to do it. Um, I, I had an inkling about it in my intern year. And then when I got to Baylor for residency, I was, I started out on Dr. Porter's service, which is a medically complex service that everybody hates except for me. <laughs> I really liked it. Oh, you oh. had a wonderful PGY4 helping you I out. I did. I did. It was all Venetia. <laughs> it was all Venetia. Um, no, they don't hate it, but I mean, it's, it's very medicine heavy and, um, and I thrived on it and I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So I have a little different experience. I did not want to do inpatient rehab in residency. So kind of surprised myself when that's the job I ended up taking. But um, I think my biggest thing was I like everything. So I liked outpatient. I liked inpatient. I liked consults. And um So kind of when I started job searching in my, I guess it was the end of third year, beginning of fourth year residency, I started thinking, um, what kind of setting do I want to work in? And so when I started looking for jobs, I was looking for a little bit of everything, somewhere where I could do inpatient, get consults in and um, possibly do some outpatient. So um, and also I thought coming out of residency, I want to keep all my skills sharp. So I was thinking, you know, an inpatient setting is a good way to do that. And, um, kind of, I just wanted a kind of a broad spectrum. Cause I still was like, I'm not sure what I want to do and what my niche is going to be. So keeping it broad to me was a good way to do that. And I'm glad that I chose that route. Era was your two, right? We're like on our teams mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. Look at that. Look at that. The B's and the W and the Y's. Yep. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so you talked a little bit about applying for jobs, but tell us a little bit about the job. Um, what were you looking for for your first job out of residency? And were you able to successfully negotiate your contract? Because that is a huge part about your first job, right? And it's scary, but everyone has to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, so I will say, so I kind of already said what I was looking for was a little bit of everything. And, um, so when I started interviewing for jobs, I was interviewing for jobs that had, um, inpatient consults and outpatient as options. Um, and then when I found this job in Tulsa, they didn't have an outpatient set up and they didn't really have many consults going, but they had a really strong inpatient program with potential for developing the other two. So that kind of excited me to be um, on the ground floor of expanding the PM&R program. Um, you know, even though Tulsa is a big mid-sized city, I would say it kind of acts like a small city in the sense of they don't have a lot of rehab here in Oklahoma, just no residency programs in Oklahoma for PM&R. So it's kind of new to the state and expanding that in Tulsa was exciting to me. So 
Um, when I took the job, it excited me to be able to start a consult service. And we're still, we don't have an outpatient set up, but in talks currently with the administration about setting that up in the future. So um, whenever I was to answer the contract negotiation part, um, I think that was just what I wanted to make sure that all those things would be available to me. Um, and I think when you're negotiating a contract, it's really important to have everything that you want in that contract that, and if they'll agree to it, like the specifics. Um, so I think yeah, the question you asked is, were you able to successfully negotiate anything in your contract? I think the most successful thing I had was getting a two-year guarantee instead of a one-year guarantee for my salary so that that allowed me to... Um, figure out billing and coding and all that stuff that eventually, you know, your livelihood is going to be based on if you don't have that guarantee to fall back on. So having two years of that is a really nice um, thing, kind of baseline to have, you know, and as you kind of get your bearings in a new job. I know that we talked a lot and I think it's important. We kind of mentioned that in one of our posts that you have people that you trust that you can go over your contract. That might be a few years ahead of you or just experience. Cause I know we went over it a lot and with Dr. Slot as well. And he was able to be like, mm, yep, yep. Nope. Mm -hmm. We are like, that sounds good. Don't do that. Yep. <laughs> so um, exactly. Yeah. Advice. I asked a sure. lot of you guys and the, our attendings questions about finances, billing, is this, you know, they're offering me this salary. Is this actually a doable salary once I don't have that guarantee? Those kinds of questions and people are super helpful. What about you, Sabrina? How was it for you? Well, um, as, as y'all know, I had a lot of babies in residency I had too. And so I had, it seems like a lot. Um, and so <clears throat> I kind of got a late start on the job hunt. I didn't start, I think most people kind of start looking around October when um, AAPMNR happens with the big job conference um, or job fair, whatever it's called. Um, but I wasn't able to do that because I was, I had a, a newborn at home. And so I started in January, just going through a recruiter and um, which made it pretty easy um, in terms of, she just kind of plugged me into to the places that, that I was interested in. Really what we were looking for is just something that was family friendly. We didn't want to be in a big urban setting, um, you know, small town with, there was a good place, safe, felt safe and a good community feel and somewhere where we could put down roots and raise our kids. Um, somewhere where, you know, they can go play outside in the street and you not in the street obviously but you know <laughs> play outside and, and you know you don't necessarily worry about abductions or something so um so so that's really what we were looking for and um and that's kind of how I landed here this little town is um is a small town Sheena so you're right here um and it's really sweet it just has a lot of um a lot of good offerings for for a young family and um, in terms of what I was looking for in a practice setting, you know, I just wanted, um, I wanted inpatient for sure. I wanted a mix of consults too. And I, I really don't enjoy outpatient and I didn't want to have anything that um, would have any outpatient component forced upon me. Um, and so those were the main things that I was looking for. Um, 
and then much like what Kara said, um, when you're coming to somewhere where there isn't a huge PM&R presence, which I think is, is different for a lot of us because we've gone to residency programs in big towns that have a residency program. So everybody knows what rehab is for the most part. And, um, you know, there are rehab doctors all over the place versus when you, when you go somewhere where there isn't any rehab presence, like I, I'm only the second PM&R doctor in the city. Um, there, there was really nothing developed. Um, we're working on on developing um, an outpatient presence, like Kara said, and some you know skilled presence too, all kinds of stuff. And so it's it's fun to be on the ground level of that. Um, and then in terms of the contract negotiation, honestly, I think this is another good thing about going to a small community place. Like they're trying to recruit you, and they really try to sweeten the the deal um, a lot because especially if, if you want to do inpatient you're in a great situation because everybody needs inpatient not a lot of people want to do it and so they kind of roll out the red carpet for you and they will really cater to what you want and so the contract and when you're going with a hospital I'm an employee hospital I'm a hospital employee and so the hospital contracts are have a lot of stuff in there that you can't really negotiate um, so much and so it was really just um I think the one thing that, that I pushed them to put in there was to guarantee my vacation time saying that they would get a locums um, because, you know, they said that I get, you know, X number of weeks of vacation and all these days of, of holiday things, but they didn't say how I was supposed to do that. And with only one other rehab doctor in town, I wanted to make sure that those were guaranteed for me. And so they put in a locums clause, but other than that, I mean, it was, it was good and standard. Nice. And I would so, say like if, Go ahead. I was just going to say, like, if you're in a good position, I think you both were, like, if you are open to going somewhere else, like you said, the world is your oyster because you can do very well <laughs> if you're open to going anywhere, so. Yep. So on top of navigating your first year on your own, which is already uh, pretty anxiety-filled, we've talked about how kind of what Benicia and I went through kind of starting our practice as well, but you guys also had COVID on top of that. And we had our good friend, um, Dr. Rachel Welbel. She was on our sixth talk and she was a sports medicine physician who was asked to kind of do inpatient COVID rehab. And she was talking about some of the stuff that she had to deal with with hospital administration and kind of some of the um, stuff that was a little bit difficult kind of working with. So in terms of where you guys are at, so how, how was that? um for you guys kind of having to deal with your first year and then on top of that COVID and kind of coming up with protocols to kind of keep everyone safe did you feel like you had good support yeah I mean the first year out of practice is is or first year in practice is insane it's worse I, I mean I didn't think that there could be anything harder than intern year and it definitely it definitely is um there's a huge, huge learning curve. Um, and so you're right, that was a lot to deal with. And then COVID, here comes COVID on top of that. Um, again, the great thing about being in a small, at least my small community hospital is that there is not a lot of red tape that you have to cut through. Um, you literally, when you walk down the halls, I mean, I see the CFO and the CMO all the time. And, you know, it's just, um, it's just a, a very different field than these big academic centers that we're used to in training. Um, and so <clears throat> we really, I, I'm the associate medical director for our unit and or for the rehab services line, whatever it's called. Um, and so we got to set our own protocols based on what we were comfortable with, which was really nice. So, I mean, I just worked with our 
little unit manager <clears throat> and we just watched what other units were doing. This is where social media came in handy a lot because I was on um, the women physiatrist page often looking to see, asking questions about what they were doing, what other places around the country are doing and how they were handling things and looking at the CDC and just trying to, to make up plans as we went. We set our own visitation restrictions. Um, we were the first unit in our hospital to start masking our patients. Um, uh, it was it was really it was really great to feel like I had some control over over our staff and and our our patient safety, um, and I think we've done we've knock on wood have done really well um, in terms of no outbreaks on our unit and um, we you know we've just the hospital has been really supportive with that and I think that that's a, something that you see sometimes at least in my experience in in a smaller setting so. I don't really have any trouble with administration. Good. I um, I mean, I do work for a big hospital system, even though it's locally owned and operated. And so I felt the struggle of administration a little bit in the sense that um, it was just a constant changing regulation, you know, with the COVID starting is it was, you know, okay, you know, now we're doing this and a week later, it's now we're doing this differently or now we're masking, now we're wearing goggles. Now we're doing, you know, it was just this constant change. And I'm like, you know, keeping up with it was stressful. I think as well as like Sabrina said, starting out on your own has its own challenges of just trying to take on the responsibility of patient care on your own. Um, and then I was trying to like grow the consult service too. And so um, I had, you know, I had to tell myself like, okay, I'm a rehab doctor and I have to advocate for my patients from a rehab perspective. So I kind of, I put a foot down for my own personal safety and saying like, I'm only going to see consults after they're out of isolation so that I wouldn't go back to the rehab unit and spread that if I, you know, was exposed to spread that to my patients on the unit. Cause we're such a team oriented unit that it's hard to you know, if, if one person has it, everybody else, you know, is exposed and um, including staff. And so, so um, hospital administration was supportive of that, which was good. Um, but I did, I think it's funny that I have created a little bit of a name for myself. Like the hospital administrators know me because if I see something that's wrong, I send out an angry email to somebody about it. <laughs> so, so I did, yeah, I, because I started seeing pressure sores on all of our patients who are post COVID coming to rehab. And that's just an example of something a rehab physician looks at that a lot of other hospitalists, you know, they're taking care of the acute issues and they're not turning the patients looking at their, you know, sacrums every day. So, um, I started noticing this trend and I'm like, this is the last thing these people need is pressure sores. Um, but the reasoning is, you know, they should be turning them every two hours, but because of their isolation, it's a staff issue, it's a PPE issue. So um, I sent an email and um, to the people kind of in charge of our COVID protocols and just said, hey, I'm noticing a skin issue in almost every patient I'm seeing. I mean, I shouldn't say that because, you know, I'm only seeing kind of the worst of the worst, the people who've been ventilated and that kind of stuff, super debilitated from COVID. But, um, but it was a trend that I was noticing. And I'm like, this is something as a rehab physician I need to advocate for. So, you know, I sent an email to the um, person in charge and she's like, 
oh my gosh, like we'll get right on top of that. And I honestly, they must have, cause I haven't seen it since. So I felt like I made a difference there, which was a positive feeling, you know, when you're working for a big hospital system. So I do think uh, rehab, um, we've kind of had our own um, place in the COVID fight, I guess. And it's kind of cool to make a difference. And right now I'd say half our unit is full of post COVID debility patients, like critical illness, myopathies and stuff. So, um, it's a really, and it's kind of a unique challenge to face too, because a lot of them are functionally okay, but it's their respiratory effort, their activity tolerance. They're on, you know, eight liters of oxygen, but they're, you know, standby assist for mobility. So it's kind of like how we can't send this person home, but what do we do in rehab for them? So, um, it's been some interesting challenges on top of, you know, starting your own practice, also figuring out how do I navigate this disease from a rehab perspective? And um, definitely, I think it's exhausting. It's a little, you feel a little burnout at times, but um, I think all healthcare workers are feeling that way right now. Um, But it's been good. And I do feel like there's been a lot of positive, I mean, seeing people improve and realizing that we make such a difference. That's one of the things I love about inpatient rehab is you see that difference in just a short amount of time. And it's, cool to feel like you're making it an impact on these people's lives. Our, my patients at LTAC are post-COVID and it's like, I wish there was some type of transitional rehab in between yes. inpatient rehab and LTAC, right? So it's like, oh, you're on 15 liters, but like you said, you're standby assist, you just can't walk. So, right, yeah, um, right. I cannot hear you, Anisha. I don't know if you guys hear me. There we go. Oh, it just cut out for a second. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> well, just yell. I'll, go ahead. I'll let there you go ahead. Is. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> technology. I know. I know. I can hear you guys. Okay, there we go. Right. Perfect. You're good, Anisha. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I was like, I don't know what's happening. Um, sorry, now that my computer got messed up. So tell us a little bit more about your guys' week. Um, can you tell us how big your unit is? Is it a standalone unit? How many emissions you're getting? Um, what's your call look like as well, please? Oh, I can start this one. Okay, um, so I would say that I pretty much, I mean, my day is like kind of 8.30 to 5 usually, and I that's another positive about inpatient is that you can kind of set your own schedule. You're there when you want to be there and you leave when you don't want to be there. And, um, that's really nice. Um, it's pretty flexible. Um, so I kind of get there at eight 30. I round on all my patients. I, um, we have team conference on Tuesdays and Thursdays where we talk about all the patients. We kind of split our unit in half. We have 22 beds. Um, and I, and another doctor split them. So I have 11 inpatients. And then because I've been working really hard on building the consults, I will usually then in the afternoon go try to see like two or three consults. Um, I have a nurse practitioner that I work really closely with who works on all of our admissions. And then she will also help on consults. So that's awesome. She does HMPs and she does consult notes. So um, that saves me a ton of charting time, which I absolutely love. And I'm like, this is the bonus of being an attending and not a resident, you know? (laughs) Um, So that's a pretty nice, she also takes a lot of call. 
So she takes pretty much weeknight call every week. And then me and the other doctor take about one weekend a month. And then she takes the other two weekends. The nurse practitioner does because she, she likes call. She likes the pay of call. So that really supplements her income. So she's like, I'll take a ton of call. So it's really nice. I only work about one weekend a month. It's home call and it's never, never that bad. Knock on wood. Right. Um, and then that's kind of my, my day, my week. Sometimes it's stressful, more stressful than others, depending on amounts of discharges and admissions. And I think being kind of like Sabrina and I are pretty much similar roles. I don't have the title of associate medical director, but I'm kind of doing that role. And, um, I think sometimes there's pressure on you to fill the beds from administration, or that's what I get from a big hospital system. And that can be stressful, especially if you're discharging a lot of patients in a week, making sure you have the patients to fill the beds is important to them. So, um, you know, there's some days that are longer than others, but it's, it's a pretty nice gig. I would say for being a physician, you know, it's a pretty nice lifestyle, I would say. Tell you guys something I did admissions on Thursday for inpatient rehab and we had seven admissions. I was like, I feel like I'm an intern. I'm in my, I feel like I'm on call again in residency. Thank God my partner took three of them. So, but I was like, this feels just like being at Baylor on a weekend. But you get paid for it. That's the, that's, that's the, the difference. That's, that's what makes it much like, easier. Yeah. Yes, it is. Go ahead. So, Bro. tell us a little bit about your day. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Um, well, mine is a little bit different. I um, am usually getting up there around eight. That, that is what's really nice about inpatient rehab is that you have the day-to-day flexibility, which is really important to me as a mom of toddlers. Like I can run out to go, you know, pre-COVID when they were in daycare, I could go to their little, you know, trick-or-treating thing at daycare and, and come back to work, no problem, um, or take them to doctor's appointments. So that was nice. Um, but so I get there somewhere around 7.30 or 8. And, um, and prior to this January, this, this year, I was seeing 15 to 18 of our 22 people in um, on our unit. Um, we can sometimes flex up to 24. So I was seeing somewhere, m- most of those. Um, and then that was, that was all I was doing up until January. And then in January, we're starting to prep me to transition to medical director in October. The um, hospital has some kind of uh, two-year requirement. So, um, so in October, I'm going to do that. So I'm just kind of like acting as that right now. So I'm doing our census is a bit lower right now. Um, the census has just been kind of all over the place during COVID. Like it's either the hospital's full of COVID and they're not a lot of them are making it to us. Um, or, you know, I don't know, it's just, it's just been up and down. So, um, right now our census is sitting around 12 or 14. Um, so I have all those and then I see all the consults, um, and that, is anywhere from, I don't know, five to seven patients a day, usually not new Mm -hmm. ones, um, sometimes. Um, And uh, I'm working with the liaisons on who to bring to the unit and um, doing the outside admissions and everything. So I'm, these days, before I was leaving by five at the latest, um, now I'm there until at least six or so. So it's kind of a bit of a 
um, a transition right now, um, but it should be getting better soon. So that's that's kind of what what my week is like. And again, you know, team conference Tuesdays and Thursdays, and um, I try to do my consults mostly in the afternoons. Get rid of get you know do all my inpatient, get them all tucked in before lunch. About how many missions do you have roughly a day? One or two varies. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes we can have four or five. It just depends wildly that on right. on what, what's going on with the beds. But um, on average, probably about two or three a day. And it's not now that I'm seeing the consults on inpatient. It makes it a lot easier because I just essentially have my note my HMP already done and I can just transfer that over um so whereas an admission was taking me 30 or 45 minutes before and now it takes me 10 um are you guys dictating yeah are yeah using drag? dragon yeah I use dragon you type it I type everything I'm oh, faster at typing than I am at talking <laughs> you're not Listen, if there's one thing, if you have to pay for yourself, it will save, like Sabrina said, I can knock an admission out in 20 minutes, HMP, everything done, because yeah. it is so fast. So you need fast. Well, Carrie, you probably have like set like templates and stuff, right? If it's like, yeah, a exactly. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. yeah. Lots of templates. Plus the nurse practitioner helps a lot. So yeah, that helps. Yeah. This nurse helps. practitioner gig. Is like <laughs> I know. How do I get one of those? I know it's, it's awesome. I'd say it's the biggest plus of my job for sure. Do, do you and feel like, experience? Like, Cause you know, obviously this is a hot topic, um, nurse practitioners and, um, do you feel comfortable with her like managing patients and does she reach out to you guys if there's questions and stuff on management? Yeah, I think um, my biggest challenge with her is, so she's actually a critical care nurse trained. So she's um, in her fifties. She's was 30 years of critical care ICU nurse. So she's really great at handling like acute issues on the inpatient unit. And I trust her judgment. Um, I think that she's only been a nurse practitioner for maybe two and a half years now. And so I, when I first arrived, having to kind of train her on rehab related things, cause she didn't really know muscle testing specifics and rehab specifics. So we've uh, done a lot of education together and she's now I've kind of, we've got a system down where she's pretty good and she knows, you know, when to come to me for certain things. And um, we work really well together. So I think that makes a huge difference too, that she's, she's really good and really teachable and willing to learn. So. All right. We have some audience questions. Anthony wants to know what's the biggest difference in residency and patient rehab versus community and patient rehab. I was like, it's awesome. I'll let you get the answer. <laughs> um, well, I, I mean, you're just in charge of your own schedule, you know, I think that that's the biggest thing is like, I don't know, it was so stressful trying to get to the hospital and like, oh gosh, is the attending waiting for me on the unit and now I can just roll in whenever I want to and um, it's just the flexibility of, of that and then just in your first year out it's it's strange though because like you know what to do right I mean by the time you're a PGY4 you're running the service but you say oh I want to start baclofen on this person and then they say okay how much do you want to start with and then I would say just five at night for now and they'd say okay and I didn't have to look anything up I didn't have to question myself but then I get to to 
to, to real life. And I'm like, okay, I want to start back then on this patient, but wait, can I like, then I have to like go through and look at for medication interactions. And then like, how much is they're going to be able to tolerate and wait, how much am I allowed to start and how high can I go? And so like, I mean, poor Benicia and Sheena were like, you know, Kara and Cassandra and myself were texting them constantly, like, what's the dose on this? And, you know, like, how, how, how do I do this? So I think that's the biggest thing is like, you don't have that sounding board there to, to make sure that you're not doing something stupid. And so you have to double, triple check everything. And you're like 99% of the time you're right on what, what your gut instinct was, but it's just like, there's nobody there to check you. And so if you screw up, then you're going to hurt the patient. And so it's just, um, that, that gut check, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I echo that for sure. And I would say, I also think that in residency, I really hated, Oh, not another consult, not another admission. But then when you're in attending, you're like, Oh, that's money in my pocket if I do that. So you don't hate it so much. Um, I still hate the charting of it, but you know, you're typing. But no, I mean, I think that it's uh, different. Your perspective switches because you're like, oh, this is my livelihood. This is how I'm going to make money. And it's exciting to get a new console. You know, it's kind of different. So um, that's a huge difference. And then I echo what Sabrina said about, you know, learning that confidence that like, oh, I actually do know what I'm doing. And, you know, when you first start out um, and we have such a great group from our residency that we have a big group chat that we just kind of question, ask questions to each other. And it's super helpful, especially, you know, when you're first starting out and needing a little sounding board to make sure you're doing the right thing. Um, but that's, I would say that's in the flexibility is huge. You know, I remember being a resident and being like, Oh, I have a doctor's appointment. Can I leave? Oh no, I can't leave. You know, those kinds of things. Now it's just like, it's your schedule. You do what you want. And actually the other doctor who's working with me, she's a year below me. So she's newer. She's just out of residency this year. And she's, she's having that adjustment now. And it's funny. She'll come to me and she'll be like, Oh, you mean I can just go home for lunch if I want to and stay there if I want to and chart from home if I'm done with my work. And I'm like, yes, like that's what you do. So, um, there's some pluses and some minuses. Definitely. And I think other things like you, you guys don't have residents, so you usually won't have any residents. Maybe, do you have any medical students ever? Right. There's, there's an ER residency program here. And so sometimes, um, sometimes if they're on the hospitalist service, then, because we have internal medicine that consults on all of our patients too, which is a nice backup there too, um, when I don't remember how to manage like some, something weird, um, then they're there. But, um, we do have them there and that that kind of gets a little weird when they do something not right um like start benadryl on a patient for sleep overnight and then the patient like needs a ct of the head because they're so confused in the morning and nobody knows what happened and then oh the intern gave them benadryl um last night and so um so that's a little bit of a weird interaction because they're not underneath me but i still also want to tell them no don't 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 do that <laughs> I think something else, go ahead, that's different with community setting is, and you guys might, because especially you, Spring, because you're in a smaller town, but um, we, at our rehab, we send the higher, like a higher C 
um, tetraparesis is going to, we're going to send it to Baylor and UT Southwestern every time coming from Fort Worth. Same thing with a really bad TBI. We're like, you need to go where there's a TBI unit. So you probably, I don't know, do you guys get those um, severe? We have some, um, but it's it's not much because, you know, those traumas are not coming to us. They're going to OU yeah. from the city anyway, to begin with. And so the only time that, that we might get somebody a little bit more severe is if they're from um, Norman and they don't want to, to be in the city anymore for anything else. Um, but our liaisons, like, you know, if it's a high cervical spinal cord, or I mean, that's not smart. Um, and it's not, not because, you know, I'm not comfortable managing it, but our staff isn't, our, you know, our therapist maybe only see those, you know, once in a blue moon and the nurses don't know how to do things. And I mean, that was a big thing for me when I came here, the nurses like didn't understand upper motor neuron versus lower motor neuron bowel programs. And they didn't understand like checking PBRs and all that kind of stuff. That's just second nature to us. So there was a lot of education there. So yeah, I mean, there are certain diagnoses that don't belong in a community setting for sure. Yeah, and you know, being in a bigger hospital system in Tulsa, we get those patients probably more than you do, Sabrina, but still, I think knowing the limitations of your unit, like Sabrina said, it's really not us that are the limitations because we, you know, trained at Baylor and we got those people all the time and know how to manage them. It's more staff limitations and knowing their kind of limits on therapy as well as nursing uh, limitations. And then, cause I've had a couple really severe TBIs that I'll pretty much take TBIs and spinal cords if I think we can handle it. But if they're super severe, um, I actually had one, I worked with uh, the TBI doctor at Baylor specifically, we transferred them down to rehab at Baylor because I felt like he would be better served there, you know, than at ours. Cause he was almost like a minimally conscious type person. And that's definitely a limitation of our unit. We can, we don't really have the education of our staff to be able to manage that. And so, um, but the cool thing was he actually improved a lot at Baylor and ended up coming back to our unit for yes. a couple of weeks. Um, just because of, uh, you know, they lived in Tulsa and it was easier and insurance issues and stuff. So that was a cool thing to see how much he improved and then bring him back at a level where we could take him and uh, see him continue to improve. So. Oh, R, love it. <laughs> All right, Hayden asks, um, any important questions you always made sure to ask or address when interviewing for your jobs? Call schedule for sure. Um, hmm. I don't care. Do you have anything? RVU reimbursement. Oh yeah. 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 So, so, so if, if they give you like a, so for my contract, I have to meet a certain RVU threshold and then, um, that's covered in my base salary and then anything beyond that threshold, then I get into bonus territory. And so, um, you want to know how much the hospital, the, 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 current person who's there for PM&R is, is billing on a monthly basis for RVU so that you can figure out how much you're really going to be able to bill and how much you're going to be making um, and make sure that they're not just enticing you by this big, like Kara mentioned earlier, like some astronomical base salary for the first year or two. And then there's no way to recoup that. And you're going to, your salary would be like cut in half or something um, going forward. So that's, so that's, I think, really important to know. Yeah, and I think um, asking what their expectations are of you, because um, 
you want to make sure they're not going to kind of overload you, like make sure they're expecting you to tell or handle the same amount of patients you're willing to handle kind of a thing. Um, and I think I always talk about this, at least when you're searching for residencies, I say vacation time is so important. So always ask about vacation time. Sabrina mentioned the locums clause. I don't have that in my contract and I'm currently frustrated by the lack of locums coverage for vacation. So I think that's something that I would, when I renegotiate my contract would definitely add. So I think um, I think having a somebody look over your contract is huge um, to make sure you're not missing anything. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I asked. I think making sure the hospital administrative it, administration are supportive of rehab is huge. Um, and I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Call schedule's huge. I mean, you just wanna make sure you've got a lifestyle that you're willing to put up with if it's one, one weekend a month or however many weekends they want you to work however often. Yeah. And you wanna to know too, um, especially if you're looking at, at uh, inpatient is, are you gonna be the primary, like are you the attending of record? Or are you a consultant? There are some, um, there are some, some facilities where rehab is the, the medical director, but they don't, they're, they're just a consultant on all the patients. Yeah, Dr. Carol Lee was, her job was like that. Yeah. So, um, so I think that that would be something that may or may not be important to you. I wanted to be the primary um, for the patients. Um, and so that'd be something to ask as well. Oh, and then like um, just little stuff though, like one thing that makes my quality of life so nice there is that we have access to the doctor's lounge with all the like hot meals so that I don't have to worry about, it saves a lot of money and a lot of time. Um, I thought you were going to say with all the hot docs. So I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, well, that does help. <laughs> Married. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good, good points. Um, and that kind of um, goes to our next question. Anthony Cooper is asking, are y'all handling all the med management on the unit? Sounds like Sabrina, you're the primary. And then Kara, what about you? So I think that was a huge thing I have changed in my job since I got there. So they, it was, uh, rehab was primary and there was just consult internal medicine as needed. And I, as soon as I got there, realized my internal medicine limitations and felt like I was actually not serving the patients at the best that I could because of my limited knowledge of internal medicine. I mean, I, I felt like I could do most things, but um, there was a point where I just felt like I needed to advocate to have internal medicine on every one of our patients consultings. Instead of having to call on individual patients every time, I felt like I needed help. And um, surprisingly, the hospital, so actually, I think that was, I started working at the end of September and it was January where I had a big conversation with some of the executives at the hospital, just kind of advocating for the patients and saying, hey, I think this is what we need. I talked with the head of internal medicine at the hospital and um, eventually it took several months, but eventually we got the support and now we've got internal medicine consulting on every one of our patients. And it's awesome. It's just so much better for the patients and it takes a huge load off of me because I felt at one point I mean I'm not like Sabrina where internal medicine was my 
thing that I liked. <laughs> so, um, so it's really cool to have that team approach where somebody's having chest pain. I say to the nurses, director, director, uh, energy towards the internal medicine doctor. And then I don't have to take on that responsibility. Um, and it lets me do more consults and like do what I was trained to do in rehab instead of having to try to manage the internal medicine parts of it. I know Sabrina, I want you to answer that, but I would say Anthony, something to consider. I don't know if you're a resident or not is if that's the case, you're looking for inpatient rehab, I would definitely go somewhere that you have a strong internal medicine base for your intern year. We were at Baylor, we rarely consulted internal medicine on our inpatient rehab. So we were used to running that, but I'm like, Kara, like when I'm on inpatient rehab, I would rather have, I'm like, call the medicine doctor, please and thank you. I'm like, yep, can I do it? Yes, do I want to? No. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, we have the internal medicine doctors who are consulted on every one of our patients too, but I'm the one that's on the unit. Um, and so they come to me. And so I'm always the first one there. And so you need to be, you have to be comfortable with managing everything um, because, you know, the, the consultant, you know, may not be there or, you know, maybe, pick up phone. yeah, you know, so, um, so you definitely have to be, be comfortable with it. I think that anybody who's going to be doing internal or inpatient medicine, um, inpatient rehab needs to, in my opinion, should, should can strongly consider doing a prelim medicine year rather than um, a traditional uh, intern year or like a prelim surgery year or something because it is um, like what I learned in intern year is invaluable to my practice right now um, and um, yeah but it's it, it is very helpful having the consultant for sure because I'll get the workup started you know like chest pain whatever so I so, so I get it all going and then I text the the internist and say hey this is what's going on this is what I've done do you want anything else done and then sometimes they will order it. Sometimes I do it, whatever. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm the attending. It all falls back to me. If something's mismanaged because I relied on the consultant to do it and they didn't do it, then, you know, that's on me and that's not on the consultant. So um, you sometimes to- you'll see stuff you might not agree with and you're like, right. we're not going to do that. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And I've, yeah, and I agree. It's like, uh, you are the, like being the primary you're the end responsibility. So I always think to myself, like, okay, I'm going to do, like Sabrina said, I do what I think is right. And then I'll ask them, Hey, do you think this is appropriate? And they'll change things if they need to or whatever, but it's kind of like that. It's nice to have that second set of eyes, especially when it's coming to like major, you know, acute issues, I guess, are the main things I'm like, oh, I can replace potassium every day, but you know, a chest pain workup or a PE workup or something like that. It's nice to, like you said, get the ball rolling and then they kind of take it from there, which is nice. Especially if you have to transfer the patient, right? It makes it a lot easier. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, let's see here. Um, Alethia is asking, so what was the decision process in not doing a fellowship to specialize in a certain field if you knew you wanted to do inpatient? Well, there's no fellowships for inpatient. Maybe she means what, final quarter TBI. Like TBI or, yeah. That must be how I I mean, for me, I'm non-traditional. This was my second career. I already had two kids. I was done. I did not <laughs> want to do anything else. And I mean, had I done, I, I may have considered doing a TBI fellowship, but also like, I don't 
want to work, I have no desire to work in an academic center. I don't want to be in a big city. And if you're going to do a fellowship like that, you more than likely are going to end up working at a big, mm-hmm. a big hospital system. And that's not something that I wanted. So that was an easy, easy call for me. And I think for me, it was just, there wasn't one thing I liked enough to do a fellowship in. I just kind of liked it all. I was really uh, indecisive, I guess, in that sense, because I'm like, oh, I like spinal cords. Oh, I like TBIs. Um, I like strokes, you know, and I, th- I do think that's one of the things you have to look at when you're doing community rehab. It's a lot more probably stroke, debility, um, ortho, like the TBIs and the SCIs are a little bit more few and far between. And so um, I think at Baylor, I'll plug our rehab or our residency because I think we got pretty much enough for like almost a TBI fellowship and an SCI fellowship we did so Mm -hmm. much of it and so I actually feel really confident in those things and so didn't really feel like I needed a fellowship in them but also just because I didn't like one thing so much more than the other. And I think it also depends on where you are and like what kind of um what kind of center center you're in we get quite a bit of um you know not like a gunshot wound spinal cord injury but we get a lot of like myelopathies and you know post back things because we have um a really phenomenal neurosurgeon here who will do these like I mean you look at the the images of the spine and it's like instrumented all the way down it's like crazy stuff and so so those, those people even though they're not you know, a stab wound to the back from their, you know, gunfight that they were in or whatever, it still is, um, it still is presenting in the same way with a lot of the same deficits. So it just depends on, on who you have in your hospital and like what kind of patients end up being coming to your hospital. We have a lot of cardiac stuff because we have a really nice, a really good cardiac unit. Um, and so we get all kinds of cardiac weird stuff, and, which I'm very like, grateful to have the internist on for. So. Yeah, I think if you went to residency, you know, you should have gotten trained well with TBI and SCN. If you're not in, like you're saying, not in a big city academic place, um, you should be comfortable. And then that's one more year that you're making attending salary. And so that can make a big difference also if starting a family and all that. So, um, Anthony, mm-hmm. how do you um, deal with the hospital push to fill beds? especially with inappropriate patients? That's an excellent question. That's a good question. I can totally speak on that one. (laughs) (laughs) So we're one of the few rehabs in my community that take Medicaid patients and we take scholarship patients. So patients who can't afford it. And so we get a big push from administration to take the patients who can't afford rehab really, but you need it. And sometimes I think they're inappropriate. So, um, I will push back. If I don't think they're appropriate for rehab, I will push back and say this person is not appropriate and I'll list out why. Um, I do think the hospital system I'm part of is very, it's a Catholic organization. They're very charity oriented. And so that's a huge plus. I feel like ethically they try to do the right things for their patients. And so um, I think that a lot of times they look at people who have had like the longest length of stays in the hospital. And most of those patients are people who can't afford this day and they think, Hey, they're super debilitated. Why can't they come to rehab? But I'm still looking at discharge plans, medical appropriateness, you know, what are we actually going to do for this patient? Cause you know, you know, you have to really, it's a, 
it's a challenge decision-making wise because you think, okay, this patient's homeless, so they don't have a discharge plan, but could we still do something for them? Even if they were discharging to the homeless shelter, you know, so there's, there are some challenges there. Um, but I think sticking to your guns and you're medical and they're not, and they should not be telling you medically what is right or wrong for um, your rehab unit. So I think just making sure you are sticking to your guns and saying, I was trained to do this and I know what I'm talking about. This person's not appropriate. And just, um, you know, making sure whether they can pay or not pay their appropriate rehab candidates is important. Because you still have metrics to make on your rehab unit that they might not be thinking about, which are important. So sometimes you have to remind them that like, you can't have a patient come there and be there for three months. It'll kill your, your metrics. Right. And, you know, compliant diagnoses and everything too. And I think a big part of um, where that comes in handy is having a good relationship with the case management um, folks, so social workers on the acute care side, um, because the ones that don't understand um, just want to push everybody into rehab because their insurance won't pay for a skilled or their family is refusing a skilled, even though they're max A times two with bed mobility and or, you know, I mean, it's just, you just, you just have to stick with, the, with what you know in your training and just always rely on that and have good documentation to support why you're saying no. Great points. I just know that no is a complete sentence too, because at the end of the day, you are the admitting doctor. They cannot make you admit someone you do not feel appropriate admitting. They can have someone else admit it if that's the case, but no. All right, Benicia, you want to do the final question? Bum, bum, bum. Okay, ladies, if you were not a rehab doctor, what would you be? I want to know in medicine, because I know what you would be, Sabrina, and outside of medicine. I know it's hard to say. In medicine, either OBGYN or maybe ER, um, which is weird. Um, I do but... internal medicine, but okay. Yeah, yeah, you know, palm crest. Critical care. Yeah. <laughs> Something that's more a little bit more acute than what we do sometimes. Um, I, I like that adrenaline rush. Um, and outside of medicine, I want to be Rick Steves. You know, like the travel guy who just gets paid to travel all over the world and stay in nice places and eat great food. And you know, that's, that's what I want to do. That's good. I like it. With COVID. <laughs> I think... I would probably, so when I was looking into medicine, I originally wanted to be a pediatrician. So I may have done that, or I also think I would enjoy being a physical therapist. So if I was to do something for medicine, probably one of those things. And then um, outside of medicine, I would be like a movie director or something like that, where I was involved in like making movies. Cool. <laughs> that was a fun job. <laughs> well, I think this was so fun to kind of catch up and I'm glad you guys are, sounds like you're doing really well in your jobs and super proud of you guys and kind of taking care of patients and being their advocates. So it makes my heart very happy no, and full. <laughs> <laughs> you your mom say you're proud of you when you, don't say you're proud of you guys are you guys are doing great so thank you so much for joining if any of our um audience members or viewers have any questions um specifically that they want to ask you guys what's the best way that they can get a hold of you 
Um, I have an Instagram account. You can message me on there. I don't have anything on it, but I, I, I'm on it. I look at it and stuff. So I'll see it. I think we tagged we'll tag you. On you. Yeah, you'll tag me on that. So. Yeah, I have Instagram too. I have Facebook and um, email is just my name, carabunting at gmail.com. So that's easy yeah. too. I'm pretty easily accessed if you have a question. Oh yeah, email too. Sabrina C, like cat young at gmail.com. Thanks for having us, guys. Yeah, thank you. Um, so thank you guys for tuning in. We will be um, posting two to three times a week. And we usually do a Sunday talk every other week to try to shoot for two times a month. So if you guys have anything you want us to talk about, shoot us in our DMs and we will make it happen. So um, you guys have a wonderful Sunday. And I hope the Chiefs lose. <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw that out. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye.